Welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, the podcast series presented by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is William C. Vantuono, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. My guests are Lee Bonner, who is State Rail Program Manager for the Nevada Department of Transportation, and Mike Sussman, who is chairman and CEO of Strategic Rail Finance and also of an affiliated nonprofit, OnTrack North America. Gentlemen, uh, welcome. We are here to, uh, to talk about the, uh, the state rail plan for, for Nevada. And uh, Lee, maybe we'll start with you if you could just uh, describe your, uh, your work at the uh, Nevada DOT to us. Uh, thank you, thank you, Bill. And and I just I need to correct you for all the Nevadans out there. Uh, the, we pronounce the name of the state Nevada and not Nevada, so uh, that's just an internal thing. They <laughs> well, I'm Italian, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, but thank you for that. So we we've been uh, focusing on rail the last few years. There's a lot of industrial development, a lot of distribution center growth in the state of Nevada. One thing I say kind of tongue in cheek is that North, Northern Nevada is the fastest growing part of California. So with our proximity to the state of California and you know, the heavy uh, freight usage around the state, um, more and more uh, businesses are moving over to, uh, uh, to Northern Nevada and Southern Nevada, the Vegas area, Reno area. And um, so we, we took a look at what was happening around the state uh, in the, in the, growth of the industrial centers distribution and um, knew that we, we needed to put rail on the map for not only for the state, but for uh, Union Pacific and BNSF and, and, uh, and see if we could, we could get those, uh, you know, those, those railways to, to pay attention to Nevada and look at some kind of short haul service um, back and forth to California. And we've, we've wanted to do this for a while the answer was always no. And through this brilliant plan that we put together with the help of Strategic Rail Finance, we, we feel like we have a great plan and are setting the state up for success to create uh, an efficient freight transportation system across the state. Well, Mike uh, Sussman, um, you're, you're well known to the industry. Uh, if you could just, just describe uh, uh, what you're about and uh, why, why this plan, uh, you know, this is your specialty these state rail plans. Uh, talk about that, about that a bit, please. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for hosting us. I think it's about 26 years now since I came into the rail industry, and I, I really started out with a commitment to address the sort of breakdowns in, in the relationship and understanding between railroads, given all the tremendous value to our country and our nation and our our, our environment and uh, our economy, yet uh, a lot of underappreciation and misunderstanding has developed over the years in the relationship between sort of society in general and railroads. And um, so I, we addressed that uh, on the finance side, the capital provision side for uh, all this time. And uh, along the way, we observed the gaps in understanding in how the public sector conducts its rail planning and sort of the, the challenge that it is for both the business side of the rail industry and the public sector side of the rail industry 
to get on the same page and, and align the potential and latent public sector support for you know with the commercial opportunities that are that are there in the rail industry so we had done a lot of um, observing and reading of state rail plans uh, since they became a requirement of states in about 2009 and um, thought we had a, a an approach that uh, would would produce a lot more benefits for all involved so uh, we were pleased when uh, the Nevada Department of Transportation, you know, let us know that they were issuing a, an RFP for this new rail plan, and uh, we responded, and that's the, fortunately, it all worked out, and that's the work we've been doing for the last year and a half with Lee and the state. So, Lee, you know, when, when, uh, when, I, think of, when I think of rail and I think of a state rail plan, um, I think maybe, and I'm I'm not saying I'm necessarily uh, re reflecting how most of our listeners might might feel, but the perception as well. We look, you know, we look at at the the East Coast or the West Coast. We look at ports. Uh, we we look at uh, a lot of interstate highways and intermodal terminals, and so um, to me, it's uh, it's really uh, encouraging that a state like Nevada, that maybe most people don't think of as having a lot of rail traffic, is actually has a state rail plan. So why is this so important to to, to the state of Nevada in general? Well, the the Nevada, excuse me, not Nevada. Thank you, thank you. I wasn't I wasn't going to say it again, but thank thank you very much. For all, all the Nevadans will be very happy to hear that. Um, we. Um, so the FRA mandates that you have a rail plan. Uh, it's supposed to be updated every five years. The repercussions if you don't do that is you won't qualify for certain types of funding from the FRA. Um, we've been looking at rail for, uh, for the last eight years uh, in the state across the northern area. Um, in, in a big way. We knew we, you know, we've had some discussions on an inland port. We had some discussions on, you know, how to leverage more rail. We felt like we we didn't have the right plan or or um, you know concept to be able to advance rail forward, uh, you know, uh, across the northern the northern area. And the the rails always told us that you know, hey, you're if you're under 700 miles or 500 miles, uh, it doesn't make you know good economical sense to to stop for rail. Um, but with, with, with the work that's happened and what's going on, it's actually, um, we're seeing a lot of interest in uh, what's going on with the, the Port of Oakland, Caltrans, um, the state of Nevada, Utah. We're trying to differentiate what, what Nevada can do versus you know, Utah and California and how to put, put together this, um, this freight transportation system you know, across both states. Looking at, uh, you know, the data and the analytics that SRF was able to provide uh, to us in the state. Um, it's, you know, when you, when you read the plan and you, you get to chapter four uh, of the plan, you'll see in a big way the recommendations, the regional strategies. We divided up the state into eight regions and each region has their own individual uh, strategies, uh, different industries different types of um, 
um, you know, commodities that are moved and things like that. So, um, Mike, if you could maybe uh, uh, just jumping off on uh, where where Lee left off here, especially talking about the the certain uh, section of the report and it's or the plan, and I, I it's a it's a large large document. I think it's like 125, 130 pages. It's quite comprehensive. Um, can you talk a bit about the components in, in, in chapter four? Sort of uh, paint us a, a picture or give us a snapshot of what, uh, what's involved here. You know, to begin with, we conceive of this state rail plan as a, a statewide rail-enabled economic development strategy. So, so typically, uh, you know, you start out a state rail plan is required by the FRA is conducted and, and funds a, a, a fair amount of uh, documentation and reporting. So we, we think that rather than just stopping at that place where a plan is conceived of as a report, how about if that, how about if we go the step further and actually make it a, a rail business development strategy, which essentially is a rail economic development strategy. So go all the way to pinpointing what are the actual commercial opportunities, the business opportunities, the business investments that the private sector is already engaged in. Gather them up uh, and, and use those business opportunities to create corridor and regional infrastructure development approaches. Because really it's the aggregation of needs and opportunities in the private sector, because we're talking about primarily freight rail development here. And freight rail is almost exclusively in service to private sector business interests. So since you already have business interests that are making investments or could grow from improved logistics services, why not use that energy and capital to, as the basis for the infrastructure build out that's needed to make rail feasible? It's very hard to build a rail line, even rail sidings, on just one business's opportunities and volume. But when you aggregate opportunities, you, you provide the scale that rail does best at, and you are able to think out, for instance, how can we develop the whole I-80 corridor, which is the east-west east interstate highway across northern Nevada from Utah to California, why not think of that? And, and there's, you know, it's a mainline UP track. They actually have parallel mainline tracks. Why not think at the level of a whole corridor business development strategy? You can think out what infrastructure is needed, what rail facilities uh, make sense and can be shared by multiple businesses. And um, 
you really have me started now, Bill, <laughs> by asking this question. So you can see and hear there's there's a lot that goes into this. I want to I want to wrap up those comments and uh, and give you. Yeah, well, you know, there's a Mike. There's a point here uh, that that uh, really r rings the loudest. I think rail and roads are one system, and the objective here is to integrate both or integrate them to make the optimal use of each mode. So it's called a state rail plan, but it's really, it's really at its heart, I would say it's more of a, tra a freight transportation plan. It's an integrated plan. Yeah, I think, I think that's, a, that's a great point. And, and I, you know, that's what SRF throughout the plan has been able to drive home you know, to the state. And you know, in, in Michael's previous comment, he's talking about you know, economic development. And we at the, at the state transportation department, we know that you know, when, you, when you build businesses and you build new, new businesses and new industrial centers that have happened across you know, the northern part of our state, and it's helped us to weather this recent you know, economic downturn, uh, because of the different types of businesses. Nevada has traditionally been a hospitality state, um, you know, with uh, the gaming and, and tourism and things like that. So trying to diversify our, our economy in the north and the south, the south hasn't diversified as much, and they're going to be focused on that for the next, you know, 10 years or so, um, to do what the north has done. Well, what, what's happened as the northern part has diversified, um, Transportation and freight transportation might have been an afterthought. And so what we're trying to do now is bring that to the forefront. This rail plan does that and says, okay, when you're bringing these businesses in, these, want, these distribution centers, we know that, um, you know, and I'll, I'll bring up this data point, something that Michael and his team, you know, pulled out, but 70% of the trucks on the road in Nevada, 70% of all of the trucks are going back and forth to California. So we know that. So how do we how do we create that transportation system that can handle that? Now the other thing Michael mentioned was the economic development aspect. We knew very early on that we, you know, we're a transportation department. We're focused on transportation and you know getting vehicles, you know, around or getting goods and people, you know, moved around the state safe reliably and efficiently. Um, so that's our focus. But we don't really focus on economic development, but that's what the Governor's Office of Economic Development does. So very early on, we tied off with them. We were in sync with this plan throughout the entire process. So that, you know, now when we're, you know, we're coming up to the plan and you'll see in several sections of the state rail plan, a list of recommendations and strategies and so we've been able to outline that and list the agencies around the state that are going to pick up the ball and run with it. Um, and this is different than a typical rail plan because a typical rail plan is just going to look at, hey, here are our current assets, here's our current inventory, and here's some suggestions for the future. Well, we took that to the next level through the outstanding work that, uh, that Strategic Rail Finance uh, you know, did on this plan. What, what are we looking at in terms of uh, investment, uh, maybe short-term and, and long-term, and uh, the, the split between, it, and as we know, uh, projects like this or any, any sort of economic development 
would involve uh, really uh, public money and and private money, the private sector, the public sector coming together. So what are we looking at in terms of, of investment? Well, let me let me address the public and I'll leave it to, to Michael to address the private side. So right. our, our state law prohibits us from spending money on rail. Really? So, right. Huh. And so that was a challenge. And we came into this wanting to evaluate state law. Do we, do we need to try to change state law? And, you know, our revenue comes from gas taxes. So to, to divert that funding um, that the vehicles put into the system and, you know, put that uh, towards rail would be a challenge. And um, Michael, um, you know, was able to tell us early on, hey, there's, there's private funding for, you know, a well-founded, uh, you know, rail investment infrastructure. So um, I'll leave it to Michael to kind of take it from there. Yeah, well, let me, let me just ask you, uh, and you say that state law prohibits uh, uh, public funding going into rail. Now, does that include uh, U.S. DOT programs? There's a lot out there, a lot available, they, and they're, they're, they come under all different, uh, uh, all different mechanisms. There's the CRISI uh, and, and BUILD and INFRA. There's all kinds of uh, infrastructure grants available that, uh, that are not just for rail, of course. They're for, uh, they're for all types of transportation. So, uh, so are those, yeah, let me address this, that. Yeah, please. Yeah, great, great, great question because the, the CRISI grants and the BUILD grants, you usually need some type of match. And so if we can't spend state money, now we, it, we can spend it if we go to the legislature and we ask permission and they say, yes, you, you can. But, you know, as of right now, we can't do it. We can't go after the CRISI and BUILD grants because we don't have the match. But that's where a P3 opportunity, public-private partnership would come in. And, you know, we, we apply for the grant together, a private, you know, business or, or a local government comes in and says, okay, we'll provide the match. Um, state law is very clear that while the state cannot, you know, invest its money in rail without the legislature permission, um, local governments, counties and cities and municipalities, they can put money towards rail. And, you know, their funding comes from, you know, different things, property tax and, you know, other, other avenues. So, um, you know, there are ways to do it, but mostly on a, on a local level or a public-private partnership, P3 opportunity. Do, do you see that perhaps changing on, on the state level? We, if we see, we, currently through the rail plan, we didn't see a need to, to change that. Interesting. Because okay. all the all the rail pretty much in in Nevada is uh, is private, you know, private industry, mm-hmm. private business. True, we'd be be more for more on the passenger rail uh, side. Right. Okay. Now, passenger rail is a little different, and yeah. you know, there are some challenges there. Looking at different agencies working together, who's going to be the lead agency? Where where does that commuter or passenger line start and end? Um, but so we, we've had some discussions with Caltrans. Obviously, one of the biggest attractions, or the two big attractions in the state, Lake Tahoe and mm-hmm. Las Vegas. So there's a high-speed line, Bright Line West, that's um, uh, in the planning phases. They're, I, I think, almost about 90% designed. 
yes. uh, to About start that, that yes. you know, mm-hmm. from Victorville to Las Vegas, a high-speed line that'll get uh, to Vegas in an hour and a half or hour and 20 minutes. And then the other, the other attraction that we have in the state is Lake Tahoe. So we're all worried about, you know, um, the emissions and the air quality in Tahoe. And, um, but when, where the train can stop in, uh, in, at Tahoe is in the Truckee area, and it's in California. So the, most of the people going to Tahoe are coming from the Bay Area, Oakland, San Francisco, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Sacramento. And so how do we, you know, we want to support that, but that, that rail connection is in California. So the way we could support that is say, well, if the train comes to Reno and there's a way to leverage that another way. So those are some of the discussions. We've had those discussions for years uh, and just trying to find, you know, ways to get people to the Tahoe Basin without having to drive a car. Maybe we can modify the lyrics to the uh, Johnny Cash's song, you know, instead of saying I, I shot a man in Reno uh, just to watch him. I say I took a train to Reno because it was better than to drive, something like that. So, and, uh, and there have been some opportunity. Key Holidays has, you know, they had a, uh, a Reno fun train. It came to Reno for a weekend, and then there was a snow train that would drop off in Truckee. And I, I, I think there's some efforts to try to move that back. Uh, leveraging some of the Amtrak uh, trackage rights and uh, but, mm-hmm. but that's that's still in the works we we want to support that you know those kind of efforts Mike let's talk about uh, private investment there are four branch lines that UP owns and operates but no third party or independent operators and we're really talking about in Nevada uh, a UP and BNSF sponsored growth plan. Essentially, UP owns all the freight uh, mileage in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, there are over a hundred different sidings and team tracks that could be converted into local rail access and transload uh, sites. And not all of them, but that's a discussion that we're having with UP and BNSF. Mm -hmm. There are, interestingly in Nevada, greenfield rail projects that are potentially uh, feasible due to the number of new mining operations that are looking to to, uh, start up in the state. The opportunities to establish new long-term routings to and from Nevada and then within the state is significant. And one of the, one of the data points that we uh, uncovered is that there are only less than a quarter of 1% of all the rail traffic in the state is going from one Nevada business to another Nevada business. Now that, that kind of um, dearth of local rail service, imagine what that means to the kinds of development you can do inside a state when any industri- heavy industrial development has to be uh, has to have its logistics centered around local trucking. When you have the local service offerings and network 
for moving freight from one business to another. And particularly when you have a state that is one of the largest uh, strategic and valuable mineral sources in the world, um, these are heavy ores that have to get moved. There's heavy inputs and supplies into the mining operations. Um, when you only have trucking available, it's not a, a business ecosystem that can then attract the ancillary and uh, developments to, to have the state move up the value chain. So you've got, you've got production, but you're moving ore out of the state where value added services and processing and manufacturing then has to get done elsewhere. So the plan that we've uh, laid down here addresses that. So in, in devising rail service to, to serve whole supply chains, and we very much focused on the mining materials supply chain, you now can facilitate what's called beneficiation that we typically associate with development in developing countries where we look to not just extract resources but accommodate increased jobs and value creation by localizing processing and manufacturing and there, there's a tremendous opportunity to do that in the state of nevada the rail plan facilitates that by including nevada business to nevada business rail service offerings so how how does that uh fit into a uh, class one railroad, uh, class one railroads operating plan where most of what they do is long distance line haul service. Um, you know, what, what, what are we looking at in, ter in terms of getting shorter hauls to serve these types yeah. of businesses and develop these types of businesses? Well, you're right that what we're talking about represents new operating models for almost any railroad, let alone a, a class one railroad. And uh, so therefore from the beginning, we reached out to UP and BNSF and shared with them the approach that we were going to be taking in the state and invited their uh, support, encouragement, and uh, um, you know, participation in thinking this out. Really newly for the, the country, although this is certainly how rail was advanced in the 19th century, in the early 20th century. And the response from both railroads has been completely positive. Uh, Lee can attest to that in all of the public charrettes that we facilitated, uh, there was 100% um, participation from UP and frequent representation from BN. Mm -hmm. uh, they've expressed their interest in seeing this be successful to the degree that other states would want to bring this uh, to their states as well. So we're looking forward with, uh, now that the rail plan is uh, out for public comment, huddling up with both class ones and uh, reflecting on you know, what we've all learned over the past year and a half. Because we have rail plans uh, administered by public agencies who are so comfortable and used to shepherding public dollars into infrastructure. Um, 
and, and more comfortable with the infrastructure assets that public agencies typically uh, uh, own and manage. So, you know, that's your roads, bridges, uh, port of, you know, ports. Um, there's been a, uh, there's an opening to connect the freight side of rail planning with private sector capital. Um, it's great that Nevada DOT has stepped into this uh, awareness with us um, in that there's ample private sector capital available within the businesses that are providing transportation services, as well as the businesses that are out to build new factories and distribution centers and uh, land developments, um, who enjoy the benefits of improved freight rail infrastructure and services. There's also hundreds of billions of dollars that the larger private sector infrastructure investment funds have ready to deploy. And many of them would like nothing better than to deploy their capital in North American freight rail development projects. What we've brought in Nevada is a coherent statewide approach that takes rail development from individual project, narrow focus, which are all oftentimes, you know, don't meet the risk criteria because they're dependent on one business's success. But when you develop corridor and statewide strategies, now each project has an increased not, uh, stability, risk profile, and growth potential, because this kind of coherent planning enables the whole rail marketplace to improve, the freight logistics services improve, and all the businesses that then get to participate in that are much more attractive investments. Uh, so that message of this being a, on the freight side, in Nevada, of it being particularly a private sector uh, funding uh, uh, solution, uh, takes it out of being a, a, a an issue of scarcity, because we only have so much public sector dollars. There's only so much uh, tax-supported funding available for infrastructure, and. The public sector can only guide and seed infrastructure investment. It, it's never how you grow a whole infrastructure system on public sector dollars. And bridging that, you know, connecting and having the public sector do what it can do best in service to an overall smart plan so that private sector capital is therefore more attracted and more energized and has a has a, a, a better feeling and sense for how the state and indeed the country is going 
we're going to free up and, and uh, accommodate that flow of private sector capital. And it really can occur at the similar levels to what we saw in the 19th century, when it was the freight rail industry and United States and North and Canada's um, tremendous uh, resource deposits and, and, and land resources that attracted international capital to make its way into North America. There's absolutely no reason that that flow can't be initiated again. And uh, I, I might add that, um, you know, there are uh, elected officials, uh, whether they're on the federal or state level, you know, especially on the federal level, they may say, well, we want to invest X amount of dollars in, in infrastructure, you know, a trillion dollars, two trillion dollars. That's, those are, I'm not saying that they're not sincere, but, but those are uncertain. You know, you cannot depend upon, upon uh, pronouncements like that. Uh, so I think what you're talking about here is a little more concrete, would you say? Pragmatic, practical, commercially okay. relevant. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nevada is a big state. We have two main corridors, I-15, I-80, and we're, we're generally have been looked at as a pass-through state, and we're not being looked at that in, anymore. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're making plans in Southern Nevada to look at a new, you know, some new, new industrial centers, some freight transloading facilities. Uh, they're probably a little bit longer term. Uh, on the on the investment side and construction side in northern Nevada, there's there's some plans and projects ready to go. Um, and I would I would just like to say one one thing about the rail plan because within the rail plan we have we have the you know the six sections mandated by FRA. We have the rail service investment program that's in Chapter Five, and but uh, also. Um, through the data mining and analysis and, and the work that, that Strategic Rail Finance did, we have an online multi-layer multi digital map where you can zoom in on all of the rail served properties and businesses and buildings around the state. And you can see which, which companies along the lines are using rail, which ones are not using rail. Um, we also did a, at the same time, in conjunction with the rail plan, we did a deep dive on the Fernley area, which is east of Reno. That's where a lot of the development, the distribution centers, that's where Tesla built their uh, 10 million square feet um, gigafactory to make the batteries and the drivetrains uh, for the cars. And uh, Google is out there, Switch, uh, Blockchains LLC. Um, there, so there's a, that's, that's one industrial park and there, there are 10 more being built. So when you, when you look at that, we want to make sure that freight transportation is at the forefront. So we did a deep dive. We called it a, the Fernley multimodal freight transportation study, um, looking at what's the best way to leverage, um, you know, all of the, the transloading facility potential that is in that area. And, and I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, there's one project that's moving very fast uh, and may up, be up and running by the end of the year. Um, we're excited about it. Can't really talk about it, um, you know, yet. It's not, not our project. But, um, you know, this whole uh, concept of the transloading in Fernley um, is the right way for us to think about transportation. And 
we we partnered with Northern Nevada Development Authority and uh, and they in turn partnered with Strategic Rail Finance to help complete uh, this friendly study. So that's a part of the appendix, and you see a little bit of it in um, Region Five uh, in Chapter Four of the Rail Plan. There's a comment here in the uh, in the summary. You say the truck data is as valuable as rail data in a rail plan. Talk about that a bit, please. From the beginning, we we stressed that the point of growing rail and attending to to rail development is not to therefore compete or diminish the trucking services that's available in an industry in a, in, in a region. And um, the opportunity you have with a rail plan is to look at the truck data, uh, which represents really the bulk of freight movement in, in any state, and identify the places where trucking, is, trucking of goods is happening as a default, not because it's the most efficient. And, and the interesting thing about trucking is that Often when logistics isn't efficient, it's doing its job of providing those services, but it isn't the highest paying uh, optimal service that the trucking companies can provide. So in this case, moving freight from Nevada to California, which is often to the West Coast ports, which are in con already congested urban areas, it's the least profitable most time-consuming, most troublesome element of truck moves. So if you can eliminate that and free up truck capacity for more valuable, uh, quicker turn times inland and not have to deal with congested urban areas, um, everybody wins. And uh, the more efficient our freight system is overall in our supply chain systems, the, the better the economy will be, the better quality of life we'll have, the better communities we'll have, and, and everybody wins. Uh, so we put as much attention into truck data as rail data. And when you think about it, Bill, how valuable is rail data in a rail plan? That's, that represents movements that are already being served by the rail industry. They're already at a price point and a destination, origination, destination pair that's already uh, being taken care of. The real opportunity for improvements is by identifying the opportunities to move more freight by rail and free up truck capacity for other optimal services. So that's why we put so much attention into trucking data in a rail plan. Okay. Lee. Yeah, let me just bounce off of what Michael just said, because we, we have Donner Pass, which goes over the Sierra Nevada mountains. And that, that pass is, uh, you know, we, it's up by Truckee. It gets a lot of snow, 30 feet of snow a year. And over the last, you know, four or five uh, years, that pass has been closed to trucks over 400 hours. And that, that causes delays on both sides. The trucks are stopped. You can't get goods there. Um, and that same uh, time period, the rail pass has never been closed. And so we're mm -hmm. looking at more efficiency, 
you know, just, just over that one pass, which I, I've, I've heard is the, you know, the worst highway, highway pass in, in the United States. Whether that's true or not, it's up to discussion, but it's, uh, you know, it's one of the, one of the major passes that, you know, we have to deal with all the time. I'd like to uh, um, close on, uh, on one comment here, and I'll ask you both to comment on it. I think it's really critical here. Every local transportation project is a national project. Mike, let's uh, start with you and your perspective. Sure. And another way to say that is there aren't projects of national significance without many, many projects of local significance. And uh, that's a principle that we could stand to adopt uh, overall in many areas of our commerce and society. Um, every town matters, every freight movement matters, every region matters, rural and urban. And it's by attending to the whole system, not just the ones that, you know, the largest projects or the, the mega projects and the largest financial transactions. But in the 21st century, we feel that it's time to attend to the whole community, the whole system. And uh, that particularly applies to logistics uh, because it, it really is the aggregation of movements and freight needs and supply chain opportunities that matters when you understand that we're dealing in systems here. Uh, so the old notion of, you know, why work on the small projects because it takes as much trouble to work on small projects as it does to work on big projects or big transactions. That, um, that's only valid when you're looking f at the transactional level of individual, uh, you know, business moves and decisions. When you look at the whole system and the whole community, that approach actually doesn't deliver long-term return on investment. It doesn't deliver uh, successful, sustainable systems or communities. So um, the more you attend to all size projects, uh, the better the overall system is and the larger projects are then more productive and more supportive of the kinds of things that we're out to do from infrastructure, which is improve quality of community life and, and preserve the environment. Lee, closing thoughts from you on that. Well, I, I will say it this way. Um, they say in politics that all politics is local. And I think there's some validity to that when you translate that to transportation. And I would just, I would say this, I'm, I'm so glad that Secretary Buttigieg is in his position, being a, a mayor, and I, I still call him Mayor Pete, but I think it's going to be interesting to see what policy comes forth from a local uh, politician, and to see how that's going to change the country going forward, because all politics is local, all transportation is local, and let's just see, let's see where, where we go. And we think that we have, uh, we've set up the, the rail plan for success for our local communities. Well, with that, I'd like to thank uh, you both, Lee Bonner and uh, Mike Sussman for joining us. Projects like this, plans like this are where we need to go. 
uh, as uh, as a country and as a uh, as a transportation provider. So, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, as I like to close all of these podcasts, have a safe day. Thank you.